You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, so great to be with you all today. Welcome to Mosaic Church. If this is your first time, my name is Morgan. So glad you're here. Uh, as some of you know, many of you know perhaps, I spent some time in South Africa. That's actually where that third song was from today. It's from our Every Nation family in South Africa. We sang there in English, in Zulu. How about that? Uh, always fascinating, of course, to visit another nation and try to explain to them what your nation and your people are like. And by my nation and my people, I mean Texans, of course. Uh, yeah, I kid a bit, but just so you know how you all were, or we all were represented there with our Every Nation family in South Africa. Uh, I was trying, did try to explain Texans, and I was trying to think how to get, get Texans across to South Africans and explain in general how many of us, oh, not all of us, many of us feel about our state because, you know, for all of you who recently moved here from California, you should know this, all of you today, that in general, for reasons that still, still mystify my wife, who is from California, thank you very much, Texans are notoriously, some would say, obnoxiously excited about their state because we don't have great weather like California. We don't have great beaches like Florida or mountains like Colorado. It's just pretty much flat and hot here, except for when it's not. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but if you're from here, you tend to love it. So I was trying, trying to uh, put all this into words, having some trouble figuring out how I was going to communicate us and, you know, Texas to South Africa. And then in the airport, before I got on that plane, I saw this t-shirt there in the Austin airport. And I thought this pretty much explained it all. You see, there's a map of the U.S., not Texas on the left, still not Texas on the right, in the middle it's all right, yeah. And so, of course, when I showed him that photo, there was less laughter, more of like, ah, as in, yes, we, we get it now. And of course, I'm kidding a bit today. If you're from another state, pretty sure Jesus loves your state too. <laughs> but today, I am happy to be here with you on a special day, the day Christians call Pentecost. Sunday, Pentecost is 50 days after Easter Resurrection Sunday. Pentecost is the day. It's the moment in history where two things happen, and those two things are such a big deal that I like to, I like to take the next two weeks to talk about them. The first, which we'll look at today, is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Coming of the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, right? God in three persons, Christians have sung, blessed Trinity. And the second thing is the birth of the church. And we'll look at that at length next week. Hope you'll come back for that. Now, I know we're in the middle of a series looking at what it means to follow Jesus Christ through the lens of the life of Peter. And while, yeah, Peter here is included... And what you're going to hear today, you know, is not as much the focus. But don't worry, we'll follow his story arc all the way to the end and pick up on that next week. But there is something else I'd like to get to first today on Pentecost Sunday. Now, Christians around the world, uh, globally, Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Protestant, for centuries have all confessed something together called the Apostles' Creed. Right, we go through it, we recite what we believe, and at some point when you recite it, when you confess it, we all get to this one line, I believe in what? Come on, the Holy Spirit. Thank you, we got one, a pastor in our room who knows the apostles great, we're doing good, all right. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now we confess 
We agree, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but what does that mean? What would, at least in part, what would in part that at least look like if we really believe that? If we really believe that, what could that, what would that look like at least in part. How can we develop, sort of what I'm aiming at today, how can we develop a culture here within the church of Jesus, body of Christ, that shows we actually believe in him? Not a bird, right? It's a person, the Holy Spirit. How do we, here's my question today, how can we create a culture that really shows we believe what we confess, we believe in the Holy Spirit? Now, I grew up in a Christian family, maybe like some of you, where I learned about Jesus, and I, though I didn't come to faith till much later in life, I'm so grateful for that. I went to a private Christian school where I learned about the Bible, and for that, I'm so, so grateful. I grew up in the United Methodist Church, yeah, where I learned about church community, and for that, I'm so, so grateful. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, didn't learn about him until later. Until as a college freshman, uh, as a baseball player, I was invited by a teammate of mine at the University of Houston to a Christian meeting on campus with the artist formerly known as Victory Campus Ministries, now known as Every Nation Campus. It's a joke. Come on, y'all. Prince, right? Prince. We know, we got to know Prince here. All right. Thought I'd grown up in church. I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up in a private school. I knew the books of the Bible in order. I knew the Ten Commandments, the Nine Fruit of the Spirit, the Twelve Disciples, the 66 books of the Bible, one at the Bible Bowl, for any of you who ever played that. I still, I was hopelessly locked in a variety of sins and addictions. I saw no way out. But speaking that night at that meeting was a man that I did not know. Some of you may know his name. His name is Ken Dew. He's sort of a traveling evangelist in our every nation world. And he called me out of that crowd of like 12, 15 students. No one there knew me that night. The teammate who had invited me didn't make the meeting, but I showed up anyway. And Ken called me out of that crowd. And I went down to the front, not knowing what to expect. But Ken began to prophesy over me. May be familiar with that, may not be familiar with that. I was not, I had no frame of reference for that, had no framework for that, no, no sort of bucket to put that kind of thing in. All I know is that Ken began to say things to me, a person I'd never met before, things all about my life. He began to externalize what I had thought about, experienced internally. He began to vocalize things I had never said to anyone. They were now coming out of his mouth in front of a room of people. He could not possibly know me or what he was saying. And in that moment, I felt the presence of God. I felt the love of Jesus. I felt this incredible warmth flooding my body. I experienced what the theologian John Calvin calls the irresistible grace of God. I surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord. I prayed a simple prayer that night. I prayed, Lord, make me new. And he did. Jesus transformed my life. I walked out of there February 26, 1995. It was a Sunday, as you'll recall. It's also a joke. And I kid you not, the air smelled different. Sky looked different. Remember seeing the moon on the campus as I walked out? You say, that's real weird. I say, man, I was there. You weren't. I remember what it was like. Instantly, though, habits of sin were broken. See, I had been born again that night through the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit called prophecy. Two weeks later, I came back to that campus group, sort of, you know, excited to be that new creation, but uh, unknown to everyone there, I actually came in 
with chronic debilitating back pain. For the previous five or six years of my life, I'd experienced this. It felt like someone was stabbing me consistently in the lower uh, sort of back left side of my, of my pelvis. I've been to doctors, received various treatments, medicines, you know, ultrasound, all that kind of stuff, everything short of surgery. And I just sort of learned to live with it. It would come and go, come and go. But here I was as a freshman on that team trying to earn that starting spot. <sighs> Only I could barely run. But I told no one, I told no one, because I did what a lot of athletes do when they experience pain or some sort of injury, which is they don't tell their coach, they don't tell their teammates, they don't tell the trainers for fear of possibly losing not only their spot, but maybe even their scholarship. You get cut, you're dead weight to the team. And so here came that back pain again. So I walk into that campus meeting again with Every Nation Campus. And as the meeting comes to an end, the pastor there, his name, you may know, Leo Lawson. I met him briefly before at that previous meeting. But Leo called me out of the crowd once again. I thought, I'm up for anything. I'll come, yeah. But as I got up and I came forward, he said, Morgan, I feel like God wants us to pray for your legs. And I thought, gosh, that's nice, buddy, but I don't have leg pain. I've got back pain. I sure wish you'd have called me out and said something about my, um, something about my back, you know. But as I have that thought, as I'm walking forward, the next words out of his mouth were, you know, Morgan, sometimes back pain <laughs> can be caused by one leg being longer or shorter than the other. It's sort of a chiropractic reality. The accumulated effect over the course of a person's life, if that is the case, is to sort of have some sort of back pain somewhere, somehow, if your legs are slightly uneven. Now, no one could have known this. I didn't know this. Doctors sure didn't know this. But Leo called this out. You see, I had been called out again by the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit called the word of knowledge, otherwise impossible information for a person to know. So I sit down, I stick my legs out right there in that chair. I can still remember the, the brown leather Chuck Taylors I was wearing that night right there with shorts, of course, it was the 90s. High tops too, thank you very much. Sure enough, one leg was slightly shorter or longer than the other. So they're right there in the middle of now, about 25 students right there on a Wednesday night. They laid hands on me. They prayed for me. One of the students who prayed for me was my one day years later wife, Carrie. Yeah, so she's an eyewitness of this. And I watched that leg grow out even with the other one. Skeptical, sure. I was too, man. You gotta prove it to me, right? Felt nothing, experienced nothing, unlike that big conversion bit. Felt no warmth, no flooding, no sensation, only just watched it happen. I don't know how, but it did. And I got up, I walked out of the room that night. That was March 12th, 1995. Never experienced back pain again. See, I've been healed by a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit called the gift of miracles. So you can imagine that I said yes when uh, later that night, that guy, Pastor Leo, asked me if I wanted to experience the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's like, man, I'm up for anything, right? You got my attention, and I was. You can also understand why I might have laughed, sort of had a little confrontation with another well-meaning student on the campus, not a part of our group, part of another Christian ministry there, who when I shared my testimony with him, because we were friends, he told me, you know what? That sounds like demonic. He says, like, you know, because the devil can masquerade as an angel of light, could do counterfeit signs and wonders. That sounds like evil, the devil. I wouldn't get mixed up in all that. And so you might understand why having that happen to me. I said a couple of things to him. I, uh, I said, you know what? First of all, if that's the devil, that was the dumbest thing the devil ever did. 
Because now, thanks to the devil, apparently, I'm now serving Jesus. I'm free from sin. I'm reading my Bible. I'm sharing my faith. I'm trying to lead my teammates to Christ. I'm living sold out life for Jesus Christ. If that was the devil, number one, that's the dumbest thing he ever did. And second, just with all due respect to supernatural powers and forces, if that was the devil, I'll take some more. Sort of the Texan in me coming out, right? I don't think he ever talked to me again. I'll ask again, how do we have a culture of the Holy Spirit? Lives, homes, families, communities, church. Culture that's spirit-led, spirit-empowered. Let me get to our text. You may have picked it up there in the video. Here we're about to go into Acts chapter one. This is post-resurrection Jesus speaking. He's been crucified. He's been uh, buried. He's been resurrected. And now he's appearing, one of his number of appearances to his disciples before he ascends to heaven, before he takes the throne, before he's coronated, so to speak, as king over all creation. This is post-resurrection Jesus here. And then it says in verse six, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Why are they asking this? Well, apparently, even the Romans couldn't kill him. Their government couldn't kill him. Uh, death couldn't kill him. They want to know now, Lord, are you going to restore our kingdom the way things ought to have been? Are you going to give us political power to drive out our enemies, those other people, and make things how they should have been? He said to them, but oh, you want power? All right. Not for you to know the times, the dates the Father has set by his own authority. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, plural, and you all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. About that. So let me suggest to you today that a culture that shows we believe in the Holy Spirit lies at the intersection three things. We're going to take a look at them in turn. Culture of the Holy Spirit lies at the intersection of experience, action, and truth. Those three things from that one verse, Acts 1.8, as in we must experience the Holy Spirit. We should act by the Holy Spirit, and we should proclaim the truth of the Holy Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit's truth. And I can't tell you how important this is for us. I mean, think about it. The last thing Jesus brings up at his last supper with his disciples is what? Come on, John chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, all about the Trinity, all about the advocate, all about the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And the last thing in his last meal with his disciples is the Holy Spirit. These last words here before he ascends and is coronated as king over creation is what? The Holy Spirit, right? This is so important for us to get right. Holy Spirit culture lies at the intersection right there, experiencing, acting by, and proclaiming the truth of the Holy Spirit. Now, that introduction of source, the lengthy introduction of those stories, was sort of my first point. That's sort of a speaker-preacher trick there to get your attention. That was experiencing the Holy Spirit. We must experience the Holy Spirit for ourselves and create moments for others to do the same. Second, how about that second circle? What does acting by the Holy Spirit look like? All right. About a year later, after I'd become a Christian, uh, experienced that miracle, I got injured in practice one day. Our coach had conditioned us so much, ran us so, so much that a rib actually popped out of place, was slightly dislocated. Um, I could barely breathe. Um, I was going, 
It's all I could sort of do to keep myself upright, experiencing a ton of pain. But by then, now, now all my teammates had known I was a Christian. I had prayed for them uh, in private, uh, shared my faith with them, went around in that locker room, laying hands on all those lockers, cried out to God for them, but they mostly, mostly, completely ignored me. <laughs> completely ignored me. And the one guy I had sort of led to Christ, he quit the team two weeks later when the coach humiliated him in public. So I wasn't feeling like a great witness there for Jesus, right? But again, I had dislocated that rib, could barely breathe. Went to the trainers after practice. They said, well, sorry about that. Good luck to you. Take two Advil, come back in the morning when the doctor's here. I thought, man, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to sleep, or get home, let alone sleep that night. But I went home, sort of limped my way back to my, uh, my, the duplex I was living in with my other Christian roommates. And there... My friends, Matt, come back to him, Pastor Leo laid hands on me. And in that moment again, they prayed for me, felt that rib move right back into place, completely healed, pain-free. After that, two things happened. Number one, I went back to the trainers the next day because you're required to, told them, hey, Jesus healed me. They weren't so excited to hear that. They said, good for you. Basically, and good luck to you. Sort of like, basically, if you're okay, we're okay. If you're good, we're good, right? Second thing that happened was a little bit later, a couple days later, an injured teammate of mine came to me in private, sort of like Nicodemus, John 3, right, comes to Jesus. And he says, hey, hey, his guy was injured. He was a right-handed pitcher. His arm was hurt. He couldn't pitch. He said, hey, the trainer sent me to you. He said, they can't seem to help me get better, but they told me that you would come in with like this rib deal. You could barely breathe or walk. And the next day you came back and you were totally fine. He said, Jesus healed you. I was wondering, could you pray for me? I said, all right. I said, all right. Why don't you come over to my house tonight? And that night I was sort of setting him up on a blind date with my friend Leo and Matt and the Holy Spirit. And he came over that night. And again, my friend, Matt Rash, Matt is one of my best friends. He's now a church planner in Marseille, France, sort of a boy from Beaumont who's done pretty good in life. Some of you may know Matt. And Matt and I asked my teammate, why should God heal you? Now, probably not a very pastorally sensitive question. Maybe not a very theologically astute question. I was 19, man, that's just the story that I had and the question that I asked. And the reason that we asked this guy that question was because he was a notorious sinner. Arguably the worst, most vile user, abuser of women on the team. In fact, because of his just extraordinarily awful sexual exploits, he was nicknamed by the team after a famous 1990s pornographic star. The porn star is actually now facing jail charges. Yeah, go figure. But that guy said, all right, all right, all right. I'm gonna give my life to Jesus tonight. And he did. We prayed for him, prayed with him. He prayed to give his life to Christ. And we prayed for him to be healed. And he was instantly healed that night after months of being injured. And so then he went out and he convinced the coaches that he was okay and he was healed. And sure enough, he threw and he threw and he threw. And they put him in a game the next week and he pitched the game of his life. Back at it, back at it. What happened next? Well, now my coaches, along with the trainers, began sending me injured players, little old sophomore Morgan Stevens. They were regularly healed. And then one of them, one of those teammates came to Christ. We began a Bible study on that team that began to grow. And about two years later, revival broke out on that team. Roughly half the team came to faith in Christ. I got pictures of them all pouring out their alcohol. Two of them went into vocational ministry. See, when you've experienced the Holy Spirit, what are you more likely to do? You're more likely to act by the Holy Spirit. Act 
back by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you receive what? Power. When? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to do what? Come on. Power to act. Power to share. Power to give. Power to love and serve. The word means dunamis. We all know this in Greek. You don't keep dynamite, C4, on the shelf. You use it. You utilize it. It implodes the devil's kingdom, right? I think to have a Holy Spirit culture, it's not enough. Just to experience it ourselves that we must. We must also act by the Holy Spirit and lay hands on the sick and pray for others ourselves. You say, Morgan, is every person gonna get healed? No, not every person I've prayed for has gotten healed, but I do know this. 100% of the people that I don't pray for don't get healed, right? Just give God a chance. Open the door. Ask him. He get, it's a gift. I can't earn it, right? It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I began uh, to be impressed, actually convicted by this scripture, 1 Corinthians 14.1, where Paul writes, not to pastors, not to evangelists, not to prophets, not to missionaries. He says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He's simply writing to church Christians, Christians in church. Do we do this? Do we eagerly desire these, especially that we may prophesy? Have a Holy Spirit culture. We must experience the Holy Spirit, act by the Holy Spirit. And third, third, we must proclaim the truth of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit's truth. What's that? You receive power, Jesus says, right? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll experience something brand new, the Holy Spirit, that you can act in brand new ways by this power so that he says, you may be my witnesses. Come on, what does a witness do? A witness takes the stand publicly and testifies to what? There's the T word, the truth. Yeah, the truth. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. He's picking up, quoting the prophet Isaiah here, so that you may be my witnesses. The word actually translates as martyr, if you wanna know. Because the Holy Spirit culture doesn't just stop at the things we experience ourselves. As great as that is, the Holy Spirit culture doesn't just stop at laying hands on others, acting by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit culture is ultimately about pointing to the glorious truth of who Jesus of Nazareth is. The Holy Spirit it brings power to speak the truth about Jesus and to live the truth about Jesus. Flashback to about two months ago or so when that once in a hundred years ice storm, hopefully like once in a thousand years, right? Came through here. We all remember what it was like. I'm gonna tell you a little bit of a story here. What's happening here on the inside? Storm came, I believe, for most of us on a Sunday night. Of course, then power went out that night. Uh, for many of us, many of you, we started getting reports that a lot of our members were stuck in their home now on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday, been without power, without water now for three to four days, below freezing in homes and apartments. We began to organize now people to, to drive across the city in their four-wheel drive vehicles. God bless Texas. Thank you for those of you who were a part of that. Our, our members have been shivering in the dark again, eaten by flashlight for days when, for some of them, now their pipes burst. We know this. People lost everything. Some of our staff members started burning their furniture to stay warm. Remember that? That night, we turned our church into a 24-7 facility, if you didn't know. We're one of seven churches in the area who did that. We managed to retain power and water, yay. So we began to let the community know we were open to receive them, but when the word got out, we were receiving people. When the very first person walks the door, our water went out. Water went off. Yeah, either the lines froze or the city shut it off. We don't know. And we were left with one workable, flushable toilet 
keep it flushing. We had to scrape the ice off the parking lot. Some of you may have done this at home. Around the clock, we put it in big, these big trash barrels. We began to melt it because we had power on the stove to keep that one toilet going for about 25, 30 people and a few dogs we were hosting as well. But we also do a lot of ministry for the homeless. You heard about that last week. Concerned about them as well. And so the deacon that you were, if you were here last week, you heard from her, Leah Hargrave, began to get on the phone, began to rally the community, raised, I believe, at least $60,000 to put roughly 200 homeless people in hotels for a week and to feed them for a week. And some of them were able to get that, but a number of them weren't because some of those same hotels lost power, lost water. Some of those homeless were expelled onto the street on the night it was gonna get down to two degrees Fahrenheit. So we agreed, we agreed to start receiving them too. We made some space available here in this building. Homeless started coming in. The police also began to drop off the medically, excuse me, the mentally disabled who had been turned out on the street by their mental institutions. Can you believe this? These people don't know where they are, what's happening. They're going to die we don't receive them. Police picked them up, brought them here. Now I had a total of about 50 guests plus 15 to 20 volunteers and staff. Some of us sleeping in our offices all week with one working toilet in the air of COVID. COVID being at an all-time high. Our church wasn't even open for in-person services. We couldn't even melt the snow fast enough to keep that one toilet going. So we made a call to the city manager who had said, thank you for being a church who's open to the public. Let us know if we can do something for you. So I made a call, asked for toilets. He said, can't help you. Our last toilets were just given away. There's no more that can be brought. Can be brought. So we prayed. Holy Spirit, we need porta potties. You ever asked the Holy Spirit for porta potties? <laughs> I have. We did. Actually, it was some dang porta potties. I think it was the prayer. About five minutes later, five minutes later, I got a text on my phone. Hey, city manager, we found the last two in the city. Would you like them? <laughs> I said, God, please, yes. Bring them over. So they did, yeah. But inside here, things actually began to get a little worse because some of our guests were so scared of being in a new place, afraid, fearful, of course, all that, the weather, the situation, what's happening, they began to urinate themselves, the floor, the facility. And a kind way to put it was that some arguments, tensions began to break out between some of our guests. We weren't sure if we were gonna be able to handle the situation peaceably, maintain our team member's safety, but we knew if we had just put these people back out in the name of our own safety, those folks would die. We needed, we felt like an overnight police presence, somebody to help us here. And so we called the police, but they told us they were unable to help us. All available officers have been assigned across the city. So we got our pastoral team, some of our folks on a call, and we prayed, Holy Spirit, we need police right now. Like right now, we know you know our need. About five minutes later, my phone rang. It's the commander of the Austin Police Department. He said, I was told you needed our help. What can I do for you? Yeah, police came and I was saved. When our surrounding community started hearing about what we were doing, the other churches, you know, this began to give to us. Non-Christians in our community began to give to us, began to give money to a church, drop off food for a church, started running errands for the church. They were braving the roads and they were saying things like, we're so glad a church is in our community. We're so glad you are here. And you know this church as a result of your giving and your generosity and sacrifice. Even KXAN did a brief story about what happened a couple of weeks ago. What were they experiencing? Come on, the witness of Jesus. 
the witness of Jesus, that God is good and God loves them. And it's experiencing something we say all the time, which is that I believe, I hope you do too, that the city is better when the church of Jesus is there. Culture of the Holy Spirit means we experience it ourselves, act by it ourselves, and we speak and show the truth of who Jesus is. We need all three. And I'll put it like this. If we only have two out of three, for example, if we experience it, great. If we act, great. But we don't offer the truth of Jesus, we'll fall into like weird doctrines, right? Wild speculations, weird stuff. That's not a culture of the Holy Spirit. If we act and proclaim, great. But we don't experience God for ourselves, Holy Spirit for ourselves. We can lose our dependence on God. We can fall into pride, think it's all up to us, or it can lead to burnout because we don't connect with God personally ourselves. That's not a culture of the Holy Spirit. And if we experience and proclaim the truth of the Holy Spirit, oh, but we don't act out into the world, to our neighborhoods, right? People around us at work. The world won't be converted, brought to faith in Jesus. See, the world won't be able to see that Jesus loves them and that he's for them. He longs to know them. That's not a culture of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but if we will experience Holy Spirit for ourselves, act by his power for others and proclaim the truth of Jesus, that he saves, he loves, he heals. Now, 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 now. We might just have experience in Acts 1 Pentecost culture where the impossible can happen. Carrie and I, if you know our story, we were campus missionaries here for a long time uh, down the road at the University of Texas in Austin. And then we left and then we came back here again to pastor uh, when the church here went through another challenging round of trauma and yet another pastor was fired, left or resigned. We talk about that all in our membership class. Thank you very much. So there are no skeletons. Uh, we, we were asked to come back here as lead pastors and work with, serve, uh, with uh, alongside all the people who had courageously stayed. A number of you here in this room are a part of that and watching online today for sure. But when we got back here, it was super challenging at first just to keep the lights on and the doors open. The former board had to let go of a ton of great staff, great people just to keep the lights on, even if we didn't run the heat in the winter or the AC in the summer. Like, Here's a fan. <laughs> Here's a space heater. That's what we did, for real. Brett knows this. And then after we moved back here, it, got from, it went from bad to worse because we had had one church member who had so generously given, given roughly a third of our remaining budget, third. One day he called and let us know he decided to move on. So grateful for him, thankful for him, but again, decided to move on. Now, I don't know if you've ever faced down the barrel of a legitimately impossible situation where stuff has to change almost overnight. I know all of us have faced tough situations, tough circumstances. We've all been through that galore over the past year, challenging stuff, hard stuff. But when your budget to keep the lights on, pay the remaining folks for mortgage here is, here at the time, $75,000 a month. You've got no savings as a local church and 25 to 30, $30,000 plus walks out the door and you are 34 years old. You have four kids. You've relocated your family across the country because God told me to. You begin to question things. You do. Because you cannot, and I've tried, conjure up $25,000 a month. It's not in back there in the, in the sofa, curtain, uh, sofa cushions and M kids. <laughs> it's not hanging out in student ministry. I know, I've looked, actually. I went back there. I pulled the, curtain, uh, the, the, the cushions back. It's not there. I'll never forget that sick feeling when I got that call. Maybe you've gotten a call like that. Because it didn't just go from bad to worse or from worse to impossible. The church, as far as I could see, 
which Morgan could see was over. They were calling some old mentor friends, some pastor friends of mine back in Nashville, telling them the story. And they said some really not encouraging stuff like, champ, that sounds like a tough one. We're going to be praying for you. And then it was some more non-encouraging stuff. I think they were thinking he's probably going to move back. And I probably would have if it weren't for one of my friends, one of our elders here, Dr. John Lloyd. And John Lloyd called me, a few of our our leaders here. He says, we're going to meet at the church and we are going to pray. And we went now into what is called our family room. That's our overflow room. Some of you may be in that overflow room right now. And you know what? At the time, it was not the family room. It was not the overflow room. It was nice. It did not have screens or a Bose speaker system, or sconces on the walls, because that's what those are all. It had moldy carpet. It smelled terrible in there. It flooded all the time. No one had taken care of it. We actually kept the doors closed. If you were to walk into this room, we wouldn't even let you go in there. We're like, no, 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 keep going. Right in here, you know, pay no attention to anything behind those doors. It was terrible. It was terrible. We didn't have the power to change anything. Had to get up in the same pulpit the next week. Preach like nothing was changed. Everything's going to be fine. Go home, look at my kids in the eyes. It's all going to be fine and lie to them like that, right? I don't know where I'm going to be living next month, but do you know what happened? Out of the blue, out of the blue, a local business called, wanted to rent our other building across the parking lot, which is now our, our student center. It's now our mosaic offices for our staff. And we'd actually tried to sell that building for years because we were desperate for cash. It had been on the market for years with no offers, zero calls. And then we got one call. Because how many of you know, when God is for you and the Holy Spirit is involved, you only need one call. You need one call. And to make a long story short, they agreed to replace dollar for dollar, guess what? $25,000 a month. Exactly what the other previous businessmen had given. And in that whole thing, God did two things. The Holy Spirit did two things. Broke a false idol that had been here for years with money. So much trust placed in wealth. We do this as Americans. We place so much trust in what the Holy Spirit comes to displace us of our idols. It was all the bad stuff that sometimes happens in churches. But God broke through all of that. We went DOA on that little table back there in that room. And in that moment, God brought us back to life. Broke the power of that force. And he did the impossible. And we now know Romans chapter eight, like never before, if God is for us, who can be against us? For I am convinced now to paraphrase the apostle Paul, that neither bad leadership, nor stained carpet, nor moldy rooms, nor vanishing givers, nor COVID-19, or freezing ice storms, or anything else we may be experiencing right now that we can't see our way out of, can ever possibly keep us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, if we will cultivate, cultivate a church that's full of the Holy Spirit, lean into, experience these things for ourselves, act by the Holy Spirit into the lives of others and proclaim the Holy Spirit's truth that Jesus is one savior for all peoples. Create a church that can somehow give witness to that. I think, I think we can have, we can have increasingly, increasingly Holy Spirit culture that honors today, Pentecost Sunday, or maybe even the impossible can happen. Hope you'll say amen to that. And take a moment here. I'm gonna pray for you. We're actually gonna take some time here and minister this and apply this. And I hope maybe even God moves in, uh, in a way in your life right now. Lord, we just come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you. We thank you for these things. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for all these. Lord, we're, all I'm doing today is giving witness to who you are. Giving witness to who you are. Lord, I thank you for all those languages there at Pentecost. We sing some of them today, perhaps. Others there for sure. 
Lord, but you know our language. You know how to connect with us. You know where we are. You know the times and places in which we live. Your word says you're not far from any of us. We just reach out. Just reach out. And church, I want to take a moment right now and just believe that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you right now. In this place, online, at home, in your apartment, wherever you're walking. If you're a man, if you're taking a walk right now, seated here in this place, would you just pray this prayer with me? Would you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Yeah. God is love. We don't have to be afraid. Holy Spirit, speak to me. One of the best ways I know the Holy Spirit many times speaks to me is just sort of on the screen of the imagination of my mind, like an impression or a word. I mean, if I were to say to you, look on the screen of your mind, just right there with your eyes closed, say in picture of an ice cream cone. You can see that ice cream cone right there, the screen of your mind. I say, man, picture like a, like a horse in a meadow. You'd see the horse. Right there on the screen of your mind, Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak to us? Some impression, just an image, maybe a photograph, a person come to mind in a way that, you know, is personal for us today. A young person, teenager, elementary school, listen, Holy Spirit loves you, so speak to you. How many times does the psalmist say, Lord, I'm going to wait on you? gonna wait on you trust you to speak love your speech Psalm 119 says your word to us your debar your living word thank you for speaking to us second group of people I want to pray for here before we're done if you're if you're believing for and wanting to experience just God's touch of healing in your body if some health issue somehow would you just mind right here just raising your hand I want to pray for you right here yeah, very good. Listen, there's people all over this room that have their hands up, of course. Listen, we're just gonna trust, we're just gonna ask if, if our father, if we ask our father for bread, he's not gonna give us a stone to be afraid. Actually, how about this? Church, would you mind everybody here in this room standing up with me right now? We're gonna take a moment. We're gonna just lean in for just another moment or two. There's people here that keep, if you had your hand raised, just keep that hand up. Would you just turn, friends, just sort of aim your hands at them by faith? I know COVID, you may feel awkward touching folks or laying hands or all that. Aim your hand at those people, somebody, yeah. Lord, we thank you now in Jesus' name. We just ask, come on church, let's stir our faith here. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd come and heal. Come and heal that knee right now in Jesus' name. That knee issue, that ankle issue, well, that eye issue. Talk to someone today on the way in that had a problem with their eye. Lord, I pray for healing that man's eye. In Jesus' name. Will that headache, debilitate, a migraine be gone in Jesus' name? Will the cancer report? Will we ask for healing? We know sometimes these things take lots of prayer. You said some things only come out, some miracles only happen by prayer and fasting. There's a process, there's a time. So we thank you for healing and we thank you for miracles. That we may be your witnesses for a good report to give to the doctor, for a testimony to give to our family. Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, now, Lord, across this building and home, across your local church, across the city, Lord, we need healing in all kinds of ways. We thank you for it, that you love us, you're for us. If you are for us, who can be against us? Praying for that in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.